Our This Week in XR podcast is sponsored by our friends at Sapper, the world's leading augmented reality platform and creative studio. With over 11 years of experience working with the world's biggest brands through Zapper Creative Studio. Zapper also has an award-winning web AR platform, Zapworks, that lets you create your own mobile AR magic. Finally, check out their Zap Box, the most affordable mixed reality headset on the planet. Start creating AR over at zap.works or talk to them about your next AR project at zapper.com. Good morning, everybody. It's Sunday, December 18th, 2022. I'm Charlie Fink. With This Week in XR with me are Roni Abovitz, uh, Ted Shilowitz, and joining us this week, Dean Takahashi uh, from Venture Beat and Games Beat. Dean, welcome and thanks for joining us for this special year end show. Yeah, thank you. Appreciate so it. We were just burning it up in the morning. green room before we turned on the uh, the recording uh, about uh, possibly the big, I guess, the biggest story of 2022, uh, which was the, you know, in 2021, a year ago, we were talking on the show about the rise of crypto, and now we have its sequel, The Fall of Crypto. Okay. So uh, what, what do we think is going to happen with crypto in 2023, Ted? As expected. Oh, in 2023? Yeah, um, just, I mean, of course, the crypto people are saying, well, that's good. You know, we're clearing away the dead underbrush so that the forest can flourish. Yeah, well, what else are they going to say, right? I mean, <laughs> <laughs> they've got skin in the game and that skin hurts, right? I'm, I'm one that has skin in the game, although that skin doesn't hurt too much because, you know, when you think about where you got it, if you got in early, like, like a lot of us did and where it ended up and you figure... There's, you know, an interesting underbelly of value to this stuff that has proven itself. I, I was actually thinking about this the other the other day about the lens of when something that is actually designed to be disruptive and a sidetrack toward the mainstream economy and for people that sort of have an understanding of this type of community and the value of that community and what its value can be. And then when it sort of gloms over into yesterday's economy and you end up getting profiteers and grifters and folks that are like they don't really have an understanding of its true value they only under have an understanding of what its value is to the greater fool theory to sort of pulling more people into it because their only belief structures that they're going to make more money with it um and then you have these of course hot points where you have huge amounts of effectively, you know, illegal activity and, and unethical activity that pull all those people down. So in a way, what you said, even though, you know, people are using it to just make themselves feel better, the idea of kind of, you know, culling the herd is a natural effect of that, is that, of course, this was going to happen when this thing jumped the shark and went to mainstream economics because it's not mainstream economics, right? Uh, so I don't know if, if Dean or Roni agree with that that thesis, but that's sort of my thesis on it. I think that, like it's it's uh, it is this sort of not a, a really a failure of decentralization. It's a it's another failure of centralization, right? And that FTX exactly. was very centralized around the SBF, and that uh, you know that is uh, is one of those uh, problems that uh, uh, you know decentralization is, is kind of uh, in right now which is uh, it you know people don't quite understand it and um you know it, it, it just um 
failures like this, I think, are, are just sort of stalling the revolution because they're making more people sort of disbelieve in um, in you know what what's properly to blame here, which you know everybody's blaming decentralization <laughs> uh, for it. And uh, yeah. I think uh, you know that's that's kind of the sad thing. It's like it's like a, a culling um, uh, that is happening uh, not through the fault of the decentralization folks right and, um i i, I think uh, there's sort of like an extra burning going on here on top of the, the regular proper proper burning that maybe was already happening and so um uh it just sort of delays uh, any uh advances uh until until maybe much later there's also an interesting sort of pendulum swing between the idea of no regulation to the idea of overregulation to the idea of sort of finding its happy middle and traditional banks went through this too you know a century and a half ago where the idea that there were runs on banks was a real problem and eventually the government said you know what we can build an insurance policy a safety net so people feel comfortable with the fact that up to a certain amount of money we can't protect an unlimited amount of money but what we can protect in these days is a hundred thousand dollars of u.s funds in, in an institution. So even though that institution is a private institution that is profiteering and trading on your money that you keep in their, in their warehouse, as it were, um, if something goes awry, you're not gonna lose it all. You'll lose everything above $100,000. And I think that the, the crypto world will find its way into that, that for people to feel confident that they wanna park their money into this if they're not actually understanding the decentralized and the value of the blockchain part of it, but they just feel like this is a better place to put their money because they can see a return on it, then they'll feel better if there was some sort of, you know, multi-government safety net that says we'll protect it as much as this. I think that's probably coming. Ted, two, two quick things. Um, one, I just want to pick up on what Dean was saying. Um, I think part of the failure is the architecture of decentralized systems still needs to be perfected. And in a truly decentralized self-sovereign system, there is no group of 30-year-olds who could stick their hand in the cookie jar. Uh, and I think what's been happening is groups of people passing off centralized systems that they control with their hand in the cookie jar as true decentralized architecture. So I think that needs to get resolved. And I and am a firm believer in self-sovereign decentralized systems. There are designs that can work. And I don't think we've really seen that emerge fully yet. I think that's, that's one. The second is I think the tokens have to represent real economy. If you're just printing fake things, it's like a company with shares that just has air in it. So I, I think when a token of a decentralized economy represents something real going on, uh, there'll be like some substance underneath. I think that those two things I think are necessary in order for like that, that whole sector to move forward from like this year. If, if you don't fix those two things, I think it's kind of dead. If so, you fix so at the end of the day, case, it's not the math. It's the humans monkeying around with the math. That's and self-sovereign means there are no humans who can right. be in the loop anymore, right? And right. that's that's the it's a system design problem. That right. We can't have our hand in the cookie jar, and that was exactly what happened with FTX. Yeah, we were we were talking last year about play to earn, Dean, and Axie Infinity was having a moment uh -huh. uh, back in December of 2021. So uh, I'm wondering what your thinking is these days of what happened to those play to earn companies over 2022, and and what you think we can expect from them if anything well i think uh axie had always been criti criticized uh for not being a fun game and uh uh and so uh when 
uh, you brought in a lot of people who were, uh, again, all motivated by making money and uh, not having uh, fun, then uh, I, I guess everybody realized that it, it couldn't last. And, and so when the, the crypto winter started, and the NFT crash uh, happened, um, games like like Axie, where the primary motivation was to, you know, make money, um, then, you know, it, it, it came grinding to a halt as well. People stopped joining, people stopped paying actual money to uh, get the right to start playing the game. Uh, and, um, and it, it, you know, it really um, started to look like a, a Ponzi scheme that was falling apart. And so uh, I think, uh, I think, everybody's sort of uh, now sort of trying to learn from that and, and realizing, you know, um, get the game part right first and uh, uh, give people a reason to stick around uh, besides uh, making that money. Uh, and then, and then you're off to a good start with a, you know, a blockchain game. So I think, you know, it's, it's, it's pretty, pretty basic. And I guess you could see that coming uh from a long way away i don't know if i saw any of that last year coming <laughs> so soon um well there <clears throat> you know there were uh, in addition to axie which had its own uh smooth love potion uh, mm -hmm. as its uh, cryptocurrency uh, mm -hmm. so we have sand uh in sandbox and um decentraland has um has its own uh, as as the somnium space and all of those all that value crashed uh, what do you think ted what does that that mean for those metaverses trying to start an economy that they yeah. um have lost so much value in the land which was what was injecting the the liquidity into the economy in the first place yeah well dean hit upon it right when he talked about w why are you playing this right What's, why is it fun? What, and, you know, we talk about Decentraland and Sandbox and these other places as, as kind of ghost towns, right? Where uh, they, they weren't built with the right ethical code. Uh, whereas the original, um, Phil's, uh, just blanking on it, help me. Yeah. <laughs> um, the, uh, the original uh, sort of um, virtual land. Um, second life? Oh, second life. Yeah, second life. Uh, had, had a much stronger ethical code, a much stronger reason to exist on on planet Earth, on planet virtual Earth, right? Um, so you know, when you kind of boil it down to it, I was actually thinking there's an author that I think a lot of these folks should read a book or two of, or listen to the podcast of, named Simon Sinek, who uh, asked this very very basic question of start with why, right? What is the why? Why are you doing this? Are you doing it simply? to generate profit or are you doing it because you have a real desire to see something enter into the world that is going to benefit you know the world in, in some interesting fashion to have some some benefit to humanity at large and most of these folks when when it comes right down to it can't say that so Simon Sinek is a good uh, a good touch point for an end of the year podcast if you haven't watched his podcast about why uh, on on why Apple is Apple. And then he wrote a couple of, of longer books around the whole thesis. Uh, the start with why is kind of an interesting, uh, interesting subject matter that I would put on the on people's reading lists. Shifting the topic a little bit toward our bread and butter uh, and VR here. Um, as you know, a couple of weeks ago, I, I put forth the thesis that VR may be in a very perilous place. Uh, and then John Carmack leaves Meta. 
And, mm -hmm. and he leaves not without some friction, oddly. Um, you know, he felt it was necessary to explain his departure. And uh, in a sense, he blamed, well, sort of big corporate culture, uh, Meta specifically, although I suppose given how disgruntled he seems, he was restrained. Um, but what what does that say about the moment that VR? Well, didn't it feel like he was he described himself he described himself as weary. Yeah, <laughs> I thought didn't that was really like he was remarkable. trying to leave for a long time. Like he he was trying to sort of extract himself from that soup and sort of stay more on the research side, get out of the mess of trying to make this a commercial thing. Um, and eventually, I think he just had it right. And, but but it wasn't like an instantaneous thing. He was he's been trying to do this for quite a long time, right? I think uh, you know, like he he also had some very interesting sort of words in in there about how the whole process he found uh, of of trying to to you know uh, make really high quality VR as as so inefficient, right? And that. Uh, uh, they seem to argue so much about uh, how to get to the right product or the right thing, and that uh, uh, too often there were other things like you know bureaucracy just sort of standing in the way, and uh, and you know it, it is a huge company, and and so like you do um, wonder about like how what one one person um, uh, can have, but yeah, when you when you lose a person like that, you know, this sort of one of the true believers and, and guiding lights of, of the whole industry, um, then yeah, it, it definitely creates this sort of pause about like, well, what's what's going wrong or what's rotten in, yeah. in this kind of company, which um, should stand out as the one that believes in, in VR the most and, you know, has the most vision for it and is willing to make the, sh the most short-term sacrifices uh, uh, to get there. And so like when, when when he leaves and he and he says like there's just lots of things wrong here, uh, then yeah you wonder okay um, you know uh, what the hell is going on you know. I I just want to add to Dean I totally agree I think when you have a genius like Carmack, what a company like Meta or any player in the space really needs is like a chief architect, a head designer kind of like your Jobs Ives combo who actually know what they're doing and have a vision and can articulate it and everyone follows. And I think if you do that, this goes right at his, at his efficiency comment, you could maybe do this at, I don't know, two to 3 billion a year, not 12 to 15. I, I mean, if you had that going on with real clarity, uh, I think what you have right now is just like large teams of people spraying money in disparate directions. And the design of XR is so complicated you could actually spend decades meandering around in the wrong direction. Yeah. Um, I actually think there's just a handful of people, because I, I know the sector a lot, who actually know what they're doing. And lots of people who can assemble something with like bits and pieces. And it's like, wait, we only moved one yard forward, yet we put 5 billion into it. But the real advancements, I think there's only just a handful of people on the planet who really know what they're doing. Uh, and it'll take a while if those people don't get to like drive the the whole thing forward like think about the iphone moving forward to the ipad if you didn't have ives and jobs in charge you had committees of people we would probably not be in the iphone era we would be somewhere in this weird mutated like bizarre cell phone era with like all these variations and most of them would kind of suck i mean like uh, the so windows I think it does phone? take a genius once in a while to step in and go boom this is what we're doing like the windows phone <laughs> not gonna comment on our phone well, like, you know what really <laughs> 
Rona, you you've lived this, and I've lived a little bit, but you've really lived it about what what today's technology economy creates is effectively the unrealistic expectations and speed of success. The investors, the market at large, sort of puts enormous pressure on newfangled or new new forms of technology to become successful in a much faster spike than is organically proper, right? So if you go back to the days of Apple or the early stages of, of, of Windows or, or, or any sort of, you know, like sort of consumer compute, right? Palm Pilots and everything associated, they, they had a much easier curve to work, right? And I think they were often surprised at their own success at stage by stage when they would look at the valuation of their company every four to five years and scratch their heads and went, well, how did we get so big? I guess people really like this stuff and want this stuff versus today's economy, the pressure of this psychology of everybody needs to like this stuff and want this stuff is so enormous that you end up making tactical errors because that forcing agent is so hard. Like it pushes on those creatives so much that they can't just let things grow organically. There's, there's a right size for every company and every entity. And when you sort of put a technology layer or lever on that, we often make things the wrong size and, and try and create things that are too big too fast. And therefore, they don't actually hold the market, right? So I think it's an interesting. It's I an think interesting the pressure, space. Ted. The pressure there is that um, um, instead of putting, I don't know, like if, if Mark put three to five billion with a super focused team, they would be devastatingly good, mm -hmm. right? And and the right people in charge of that thing. Yeah. But um, I think he feels pressure to move out from under iOS and Android that they're going to try to crush and kill him, which they probably are. And I oh. think that pressure is adding another 10 or 15 billion a year and trying to make something move faster than like the physics of human innovation is going. And I think that's one of the issues here. Yeah, exactly. Uh, you know, I, I think uh, it's it's masking the, the actual uh, data in a way that like everybody's noticing right now that uh, uh, Meta is losing $3 billion a quarter and um, that's not sustainable and that's crazy and you know they're investing into a market that just uh, isn't moving that fast but but vr grew 50 percent in 2022 right and that's an that's an incredible year in a in a at a time when gaming itself is going to shrink by a, a few percent right and so um uh, VR adoption actually is is uh, going better than uh, a lot of the rest of uh, the things that are are new in the game industry, and so I think um, I think people aren't noticing uh, uh, that so much right now. They're 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 noticing just what a what, how disastrous it is uh, to you know to to lose so much money, and and yeah, they they it, it looks like you know they they feel that they have to do that in order to uh, just grab more of the market before Apple comes along with, with their device. Right. I mean, if you look at other technologies, right, like look at the automotive industry at the turn of the century, uh, there, there, there wasn't a whole lot of people like clamoring and screaming that when the first sort of commercial cars started to hit the market and there were say 10,000 of them in the world, that people weren't like scratching the doorpost down going, how come you haven't sold a hundred million yet? You know, what, what's what's happening and why aren't you putting enough money into this? They kind of let the curve grow. And you can find that with lots of other sort of things that are fundamentally massive moments of change, right? Mm -hmm. 
And you know, like Charlie and I keep explaining and arguing, I think for, well, now it's, 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 it's many cycles about how many industries and how many pieces of the puzzle are starting to get plugged in and starting to work across using simulation-based devices as opposed to traditional screens. It's a success category already, right? And okay, not everybody in the world is driving a car yet, right? But we see the evolution of the fact that at some point, everything gets right enough that everybody says, oh, I totally wanna to drive a car. I don't need to have a horse-drawn buggy anymore, right? Um, but it takes time and it takes energy. And, and I think the investor community, the overall sort of web-based software community of communications puts way too much pressure on success these days. That's so, my, my opinion. That brings, brings us to an interesting question, which is much more specific. It's actually, there are two parts. One is what's gonna happen with Meta in 2023? Uh, and and sort of by association, much of the you know um, consumer VR industry, um, because Apple may have a device this year, but it's certainly not going to be a, a widely distributed consumer device. Um, you know, it's going to be a developer version and, and expensive, and you know people are going to get it, understanding that it has you know a limited number of apps and so forth. But let's let's focus on Meta just as our canary in the coal mine. And complicating this prediction, of course, is the idea that capital is going to be tight in 2023. There may or may not be a recession. You could read any number of brilliant writers uh, on the pro and the con, but it's going to, to be a significant headwind to companies that need to raise money, the companies that are going to be hurt by, um, for example, meta slowing growth. Uh, so, so where where are we going with this in 2023? I think that's probably what a lot of people are wondering. You know, we're we're saying a lot of the things we've said in the past, but let's go out on a limb a little bit. What do you think, Ted? I think slowing down this machine is a healthy thing. I think, you know, and I, I guess I, I keep sort of reiterating it because it's in my brain that the 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 perception of the pace of this success has always been something I've been very worried about and been very vocal about. Change takes time. And it takes much, much longer to achieve the, the things that people want to incorporate into their daily lives as something new, right? Um, so the idea that dollars will be a little constricted, that they won't just flow into things that ultimately won't mean anything is probably a healthy thing. I think if I'm looking at the overall health of the technology curve, um, you know, and I think if, if you look at, you know, a, a $44 billion price for a piece of software um, that has a some sort of user base that someone thought was valuable, I think that's a really good leading indicator of, you know, these start to become fool's errands. Every software evolves, changes, dies, withers, and regrows, right? Um, and they just don't have the, the innate value that people think they have. Um, so I think it's healthy. I think it's healthy to just, just Take a breath and slow this machine down. I don't know if Ronnie and Dean agree, but but I, I feel it's healthy. Dean, uh, I think that uh, you know uh, what you, what you're saying is is right. Uh, I I do think that um, um, there's some good strategies in in place that the, some of the companies are pursuing, like to go after the enterprise market. Really, um, you know, Meta launched the the fifteen hundred dollar uh, MetaQuest Pro and. Um, uh, it's you know competing with a thirty-three hundred dollar uh, Magic Leap uh, device out there in the market, and um, you know they're they're 
pricing it, the technology higher, closer to, um, you know, what the costs of this high-end technology are. And uh, enterprises, you know, are sort of chomping at the bit to, to get their hands on these things so that they can uh, lower things like training costs or, um, you know, make it easier to uh, train employees trying to find things in a big giant Lowe's store, right? <laughs> and, uh, uh, and so I think, uh, uh, that part of the market, I think, is the one that can carry um, more of the industry and and you know pay for the R and D and and uh, do you know come off uh, more profitable. Um, I think Meta itself tried to slow some things as well by raising the price of the the Quest Two by a hundred dollars this year, um, mainly to deal with um, bad you know, supply chain yeah, issues uh, that have arisen and uh, caused a lot of inflation uh, and, and you know, constraint and, and shipping of things. And then I, th I think the other thing, you know, we can expect is what they've already announced, which is uh, the MetaQuest 3 uh, coming uh, sometime in late 2023. Uh, so, so that at least, uh, you know, tells us that, you know, the, the this industry is still going to make a lot of progress uh, next year. It's not. It's not going to stall. It's not going to be dead in the water. There was a major product announcement on Friday, which is HTC teased its new um, XR headset. Um, I I got a pre-brief on it, so I'm going to try and say as little as possible since they swore me to just uh, talking about the tease. But uh, you know they're good. They they want back in. Yeah, and I guess we'll see the standalone it. headset they want back in. We'll see it in full force at CES, right, Charlie? I mean, they're gonna they're gonna do a little to do yeah. it. Uh, it's it's you know a very very credible product that will go up against the Quest and um, against Pico if they Pico seriously chooses to uh, battle it out. I think the real question about both Pico and HTC is what is their appetite for fighting in a consumer marketplace? It's a crowded. It suddenly is a more crowded marketplace. Um, you, it's a very saturated market. PlayStation is coming out. That's a big segment that Sony gets all to itself. So I, I just, I think it's going to be really interesting. HTC's timing may not be great, but I, I applaud their ambition and they're kind of the plucky independent uh, in this. They don't have the kind of resources that that Pico and ByteDance and, and Meta have. I was going to say, Charlie, that Sony's uh, PlayStation VR is going to be maybe an interesting story for 23 because I, I think that's going to do quite well. Uh, it's it's a big step from what I've heard over over the last generation, and it's dialed right at gamers. And I think they're going to show how do you penetrate the consumer VR market uh, because they're bringing creativity, uh, game titles, the PlayStation, and a price point that all makes sense together. So I think it'll probably put Meta in the rear view in 23. I think it might be the year maybe like Sony and HTC. And people realize, wait, this ball is being carried by lots of other companies. Uh, I think I think Meta is losing the main microphone. That's that's I, that, that's what I think will happen in 23 is they realize others can build better products at better price points and actually deliver content people want. And that's going to force a regrouping. My guess is Mark's going to fire people. They're going to be screaming and yelling, but he won't quit. Uh, he will come back <laughs> with a vengeance. But I don't think I think 23 is his licking wounds here because he's going to see others pass him by. And that's gonna that's gonna make him just even more fierce and double down. So I would not take your eye off him. Well, I have a, I have a question for Dean about the the, uh -huh. the new PlayStation VR uh, uh -huh. because from let, let me let me phrase it this way: from what I know and understand, uh -huh. uh, the device is extraordinarily light. 
it is it, the, the resolution is very very good. Uh, their their gaming DNA as Sony uh, is well understood, and they will probably release extraordinarily good games for the device. Um, but to me, it's gigantic Achilles heel. Charlie and I have discussed this a few times, so I'm very curious about your opinion on it. Is everything that I understand about the device is it must be tethered physically to the PlayStation 5, that it is a wired device. And I just cannot for the life of me understand why a company as smart as Sony would not gauge the, the real estate, the market at large, and understand that in the year of 2023, you simply cannot release a wired VR headset and expect any true success with it. So my prediction is either it'll be a third party or maybe Sony does it as a surprise, wireless adapter that allows the headset to be wired, that the wire is, is modular, it pops off the headset and you plug a little adapter in it and you get wireless um, connectivity to your PlayStation 5 as long as you're in the same room via fast Wi-Fi. Any thoughts on that? Um, it's definitely a handicap. Uh, uh, it's not the only one too that could stand in, in Sony's way, I think. Uh, and um, I mean, in, in some ways, uh, uh, you know, at, at least their their users, their current fans of uh, PlayStation VR are are still tied to you know a console like they're they're tied to the PSVR and they're they're not used to having any kind of wireless experience um, unless they've got Quests as well, um, and and so that um, you know the, the, that crowd might not be unhappy with. Uh, with this solution, given you know what they what they get in terms of the improvements and and the quality of, of the device and what they're seeing, I, I think the real problem is that they're 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 pricing this you know pretty high. Yeah, uh, yeah. it's at, more than uh, it's more than a PlayStation Five. Five hundred and fifty dollars, um, yeah. you know, compared to three hundred dollars for the original PlayStation VR, and that's that's moving it pretty far out of uh, the mainstream uh, consumers. Um, uh, you know, sort of taste for for uh, for a budget for a device, and and yeah. you know, I'm I'm not sure uh, that they're gonna um, uh, you know be as uh, successful with this uh, as as the original PSVR, given that that price change, um, and that that price recognizes the sort of reality of getting products to to market uh, these days, uh, especially during like a uh, you know. Uh, semiconductor shortage um and uh and you know we'll we'll see how how much of this can really fly off the shelves uh still uh, uh so i i you know they're well above the price of the you know the standalone uh non-tethered quest 2 uh, yeah. as well and so in that sense um i think uh i think you know they they may not make as big a dent as as you think just because uh they're sony right right and do you think that that higher price point is intentional again to sort of go back to our earlier point to just sort of slow this train down a little bit to 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 allow it to cultivate toward a user that's not so price sensitive that will help them guide their product direction a little bit um and and sort of find its way into something where people are like this is remarkably great I don't care what it costs, I have to have it. And you know, you, they go over to their friend's house, they play it a little bit, they have to have it, right? Yeah. Uh, so it's also really good with their little socialization sort of understanding of, you know, gamers wanna be with other gamers and they wanna connect 
in pretty intimate ways um, when playing their games, right? Um, and it's been a real struggle for Meta to, to find a really good way for it not to be so clunky and awful when you and I would try and connect up to play a game or Charlie and I would try and connect up and play a game. Um, mm-hmm. It's much harder to achieve that than I think people realize to actually get that sort of one click, you know, like, and we're in kind of moment. So it's an interesting time that way. I, yeah, I, I think that uh, they, they all, I mean, like the primary object of launching these devices ahead of your competitors now is is the learning part, really. Sony's in a position to, to learn so much now uh, with this kind of product. The other, the other thing I think it helps with is that, you know, the PlayStation 5 and the Xbox Series X and S have been in short supply for, you know, more than a couple of years. Yeah. And um, they're suddenly sort of uh, uh, they're, during a recession. They're probably going to be able to come, you know, come out in much higher numbers uh, right now, and um, uh, that's a good thing for the market. And all that pent up demand um, is is going to, you know, sort of finally be fulfilled. Uh, but um, some of the problem with that demand uh, right now is that these products seem like they're old. Like you know, it's like what's the big deal? PlayStation 5 has been out for a couple of years. Why all of a sudden do I need to buy it um, when uh, I haven't been able to get my hands on it at all in the last couple of years? The excitement around those products happened a couple of years ago. And what's new uh, to bring me into this? And like PSVR is too, is, is something new, at least that Sony has to offer at a time when the demand for, you know, uh, these things, uh, you know, might be a little iffy and went, as they suddenly become available again. So, uh, sorry, I had to step away for a, a second, gents, but um, as we come up on the quarter hour here, uh, I wanted to, I mean, there are all sorts of things that we didn't talk about, like AI, uh, which seems to be having a moment now. Um, and, you know, I think that will be a hot topic, at least in the beginning of 2023, uh, because the public, or at least, the, you know, those of us that the Tectorati have been able to play with some real uh, substantial AI programs uh, for the first time, They're very much a beginning uh, of a technology that, that you know, could could be very surprising in, in ways that, that at least I can't yet see, but um, are probably quite profound, as as others have pointed. I mean, its ability to write code. I mean, if that really is true, uh, the implications of it are are profound. Um, you know, if it really can build virtual spaces for us, um, you know, its implications for the quote unquote metaverse are profound. Uh, and the metaverse is really where I kind of want us to end up because twenty twenty two clearly was the year of the metaverse. Um, you know, it got talked to death. Matthew's ball, Matthew Ball's book came out. Uh, it was quite definitive and uh, in depth and compelling, I thought. Um, but the metaverse he describes is not exactly where we are right now. We're sort of in walled gardens, which have connected virtual worlds. So, uh, you know, again, what what did twenty twenty two bring us in the metaverse? Is it still going to be a topic in twenty twenty three? So, where are we, uh, Ted, in this trajectory of of the metaverse, or or are we going to stop calling it that and and uh, make a pivot here? Yeah, well, this is this seems to be the theme of our of our discussion is, you know, the the spiking up of technology so quickly 
the belief structure that things will happen versus the reality of what it takes to really make them happen when it comes to things like AI, the beginnings of quantum computing, anything related to these kind of connected digital universes called that we largely call the metaverse, you know, built on a decentralized thesis and structure uh, and, and blockchain kind of helping it nurture it into existence. Um, I think just, you know, we, we as, as technology humans get over our skis so fast these days <laughs> we, that we, we go into that cartoon moment of just turning into that snowball with the skis sticking out. And I think the metaverse is a perfect example of that as a terminology, right? I think the four of us know that the promise of how things evolve um, is well known, right? We can see it in front of us. We're doing it right now. We do it on a daily basis. We use all kinds of interesting devices to stay connected to the planet. We could effectively, you know, talk to almost anybody we want to on planet Earth these days with the click of a button, right? That is a remarkable metaverse already that we can do that, right? And not just with voice, with video communication and with a graphics layer, right? Like we could do all these things. This is not new. It took a long time to get there. Um, so the idea of us just kind of going into this like train wreck mode about a nomenclature because all of these companies, again, see the profiteering, they see their moment and they like, they, you know, set their hook and they try and reel people in as opposed to really trying to go fishing, right? Going fishing takes a long time, right? And good fishermen know you have to have patience. You have to have like really extraordinary patience to get out there and really fish versus just trying to throw your hook in the line in the water and see what you can reel in really quickly. Um, so I think that to me, that's sort of my philosophy of what happened with the 2022 metaverse and the fact that the 2023 and beyond metaverse will remove a lot of that nomenclature as much as we're all friends here with our buddy, Neil Stevenson. I think he'd be the first to tell you it'd be kind of nice to separate that nomenclature from what's going on. Um, so that's kind of my thesis on it. Calm the waters. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I think that, you know, 2022, um, definitely if you, if you did a, a search on Google Trends for the word metaverse, you'd, you'd see that big spike and it went like, you know, way up in 2021. And then um, it's, it's sort of like half of what the uh, excitement was, I guess, in, uh, uh, in 2022 now. And so then, um, so there's, there are people who are getting very skeptical about it now. Um, they're sort of, um, uh, you know, uh, associating it with, uh, with the crypto winter and, and saying, you know, it's, there's just as many scams in, in the metaverse as there are in, uh, in blockchain and blockchain games and crypto. And um, uh, I, I think, um, you know, some of that is healthy and uh, I, I still see interesting things happen in the market. Um, there, you know, there's a company called Futureverse uh, that just announced themselves and, um, and they rolled up eight different blockchain uh, companies into one in, in the hopes of creating their own metaverse ecosystem. And, that's the kind of thing that, you know, happened with mobile games, really, uh, you know, like uh, companies like Jam City got created in order to do these kinds of roll-ups of a bunch of mobile game companies, because there were way too many of them, and, you know, they're, they all sort of independently would have uh, failed, and so consolidation is, is starting to happen uh, alongside all of these investments in startups that we've seen, you know, happening in a, in a pretty crazy way, and, uh, and so, 
Uh, I do think that the the metaverse vision though has has caught on uh, pretty well, and like we're going to CES soon, and and we're going to see uh, a lot of big companies, you know, talk about um, their visions for the, for the metaverse. I don't think they have the definition quite right, and <laughs> that uh, you know, um, uh, you know, a lot of uh, things are being sort of mistaken for the metaverse right now. Um, you know, if you think of Roblox, uh, all, all of the brands are moving into making games on top of Roblox, um, and I'm not not sure that the that uh, uh, like they do have the user base of you know 50 million daily active users uh, uh, that they can uh, uh, go after there, but I'm not sure that um, the experiences that they're delivering inside a place like Roblox uh, can really uh, count as. Uh, true metaverse experiences, and and so um, I think that uh, uh, people who are dismissing the metaverse right now as just more hype, um, maybe um, just have a mistaken impression of what the metaverse is, is and what it's going to deliver. I guess. Well, and Dean, you write you write a lot about uh, professional the professional side of of our business in many ways, and I think. One of, to me, the, uh, the North Stars around the precursor to a metaverse understanding, the utopia of a company seeing a benefit of cross-population, cross-usage, is Pixar's uh, USD. Uh -huh. uh, and to me, that's a, that's a shining example of mm -hmm. a company that is a for-profit company, right, lives within Disney now, um, that saw an extraordinary benefit of opening something up as opposed to keeping it closed and behind a walled garden. It doesn't mean that they don't have other parts of their walled garden because of course they do because they're a for-profit entity, but they saw an extraordinary benefit to allow a new file format with extraordinary advantages to just be put out into the universe so that any company could adopt it without a pay structure, without a licensing fee and allow it to blossom and allow it to flourish. And I think that's a really good use case of how the metaverse, both for professional and consumer, will be defined, is that there will be these certain tenets of technology that companies that build it, that put a lot of cycles and, and, and potentially billions of dollars into building it, realize that they will benefit more from letting it out into the world without any expected return on that specific investment. But their overall investment return of having everybody use it um, will be will be an extraordinary benefit and, an, and, a, and a force multiplier. Uh, I don't know if you if you agree with that or you have another example other than USD, but USD. Yeah, no, I think I think the market market forces are are in sort of a very interesting state right now, and uh, Pixar's uh, motivation to to open source USD really was so that it didn't have to reinvent the entire tool chain uh, behind its its movies with every single movie that it made, uh, and that if if it you know had. Uh, put put the standard out there, then those toolmakers could um, use USD to make things that were just compatible with uh, the you know existing way that uh, uh, they're sharing 3D file formats, and um, and then Nvidia's endorsement of it really um, has um, has you know done great things for helping to sort of spread uh, this notion of interoperability and reuse of assets. Um, you know, you guys uh, mentioned uh, briefly the generative AI, uh, you know, phenomenon, and uh, NVIDIA is also one of the companies that's be uh, behind that force. And 
um, you know, they demonstrated how you can um, uh, uh, create an, sort of like an infinite number of uh, 3D objects uh, using generative AI. And that's what you need uh, for the metaverse, right? The, the metaverse is, is going to have huge demands for art to fill out these vast uh, worlds that people are expecting or envisioning uh, right now. And if, if you can automatically generate that art through uh, something like generative AI, uh, then you, you finally have some sort of practical way of fulfilling some of these visions. And uh, if they're if they're all uh, using the same kind of standard, uh, that's great. I think in Nvidia's Omniverse is the tool they've created to do this, and that's not open source. Um, but I think uh, other forces in the market um, could eventually force Nvidia to to make it open source as well. Uh, otherwise, you know, Nvidia will have open source competition. USD itself is going to have some competition with GLTF, right? Um, which is more oriented for for light work, lightweight web e-commerce like things, as opposed to uh, Pixar like movies and really high end uh, 3D. So, so there's interesting forces in the market right now that are are sort of cranking the the flywheel uh, for the metaverse, and that's that's a good thing. Yeah, agreed. Well, Charlie, you're on mute. Charlie, you're mute. I muted so we wouldn't hear barking dogs. Sorry. Uh, so in uh, 2023, do you think, Roni, that we will have, will it be like crypto, uh, like VR winter in 2018? Quest is not launched. The tethered VR has not really sold very many units. So uh, people like um, Altspace uh, ended up being sold to Microsoft in a fire sale. And there were many, many other companies, the original meta among them that just could not raise in that environment um, really any money because the, the market was going sideways. People were skeptical. Uh, you know, that I mean, I would also say about the metaverse, just for a parting shot on my part, and I'll, I'll then leave it to you to, to take us out, Roni. Um, but it is yet to be proven that people want to navigate the metaverse or want to navigate the internet the way they navigate a, a 3D video game through a 2D screen, right? So a lot of the metaverse prep proposition right now is we're going to navigate 3D spaces um, using a player avatar and, you know, it's a gamification of the internet. And I, I guess I, I'm not sure Fortnite is specific, is good enough proof of that yet. Um, we will see whether Fortnite players even want to do that. Um, but that's really unclear to me. And, and a lot of people are asserting that companies going up in, you know, Roblox are asserting that. And I would just say, I'm not convinced yet. Uh, I, I think we have a ways to go before that could be declared, declared the actual direction uh, that we're going to take with this, um, not necessarily new technology, but new thinking about the convergence of technology and, and where our attention is going to be in the future. Roni? Yeah, no, so uh, just to kind of give you thoughts about next year and sort of what's happening. One, I think the substantive companies, the people that can see 5, 10, 15 years out um, are going to get funded in 23. Uh, and I think those teams are few and far between. There's lots of players trying to cash in quick on buzzwords. You know, it reminds me of .com uh, in the early 2000s, but .com gave way to something else, which was like, 
gigantic, sophisticated technology companies that use the internet, the AI, many other things to build enormous value. Um, so I think what we're going to see are the substantive teams who are cutting through all the noise and gimmicks, but see the reality of what's being built, an opportunity which is gigantic, and they actually grab onto like substantive ideas, they're going to get funded. I think a lot of the gimmicky, get-rich-quick schemes are, are going to die. Uh, you can see lots of startups who are stranded because they just don't have real tech, real ideas. They're just like a me to copy something. Um, I think the word metaverse, you know, Neil is a is a really good friend, been friends for a long time, is probably going to give way to something else. Uh, and people will start talking about like the spatial internet or really what we're talking about is just the internet computing itself evolving with a lot of really interesting endpoints and unique new assets like decentralization is one piece. It's just the evolution of the internet into something else, uh, not only spatial. Uh, I, I, I personally think the biggest driving force for the next like 10, 20 years is AI. Um, it, is, it is so overwhelmingly uh, much more important than, than crypto or anything else going on. People have no idea the impact it's going to have on the economy. And I think what we saw this year uh, with Midjourney, with OpenAI, with GPT, was like I call the light rainstorm before the Category mm -hmm. 5 hurricane coming. My prediction is like somewhere between 2028, 2032, the eye of that storm really hits. Um, it may even be like, you know, what people think of as a singularity moment, but let's just take that word away. I think we're going to see like the full force of AI hitting um, 2028 through 2030s, which means what you saw hit this year, which caused entire sectors of the population, artists, designers, photographers to realize like their livelihood is looking very easily disrupted by code that for example, one of the purveyors is a friend of mine with a very small team and no funding, uh, the, the guy behind Midjourney built on his own without venture funding. And, and think about how powerful that is. So what's really going on, I, I think of it as the computing energy of AI fueled by people like Jensen and NVIDIA, fueled by Lisa at AMD and others. That computing energy is so powerful. It's like a fusion engine. And what you, what you see with like OpenAI and what you see with Midjourney and others, they're just like, taking that computing energy and repackaging it using cool algorithms like stable diffusion and others. But there's this underneath machine. Uh, I think NVIDIA is one of the forces that's just getting better and better. And NVIDIA chips are so smart, they're writing the next generation of chips. Like there's, they're not even like involving humans to figure out what the next chip looks like. So that flywheel is spinning. And if you understand what's going on, I think that force is gonna go through every part of society. Like I can't even imagine gaming in the late twenties or thirties because gaming is going to be so extraordinary because you'll be able to conjure the most amazing graphics at will. I think this whole revolution powered by AI is coming. And then I think all the other stuff around it, like crypto uh, and even the visualization, how the internet changes, is going to like be surrounding the main course. I think what's happening in 22 was the main course, AI re-announced itself and pushed everything else aside and said, no, I'm the real thing. That That is the meat. That's where all uh -huh. the money's going that's where the smartest people in the world are going that's my take that's so everything else was kind of like the little leaf on the on the plate the dessert uh by the way i i always had this feeling because we we did we did make some big investments in ai magically my new startup which is in stealth mode is all in ai but i i, I think it's just hard to ignore this thing that's announced itself so loudly and and i guess my my take to anyone listening is 
what happened in 22 was like the tiniest rainstorm and a category five is coming later this decade. Think about what that means to you, your business, the economy, huge opportunity, but it's also a giant, giant wave that's going to change a lot. I think that's the one to keep our eyes on. So, so what I'm hearing is it sounds like your thesis is that AI in all of its forms is as big or bigger than silicon itself, than binary compute itself, that effectively owns every process that we do on planet Earth pretty much these days, it's, right? It's you it. think it's, that it's the, the next one. stage of how we use compute is going to be associated with AI? It's, it's not even, it, I think it's just, it's, I think it's a fact. And now it's like, how do we as human beings respond? And I, I'll say most important thing on this broadcast, Charlie and Ted and, and Dean, uh -huh. humanity needs to respond with our social systems. How do we build an economy that doesn't wipe out everyone's job? How uh -huh. do we build an economy that allows us to live and coexist? By the way, that is the fundamental question. One of the things I'm, I'm trying to solve um, I think a lot of companies don't care. They just see a lot of money to be made, but I think it's a real issue. Like I think there is concern and we have to figure out how do we coexist with this thing that we are creating as people? We have to coexist with it. I don't think that's top of mind for a lot of people. Uh, I think it's, just, it's performance and it's it's like, look, when a human being's performance is going to cost like $1,000, that means nobody is really needed for anything anymore. Uh, on, on many levels of work. And we need to think about what that means for society. And we've got to be ahead of that. And ahead of that right now means we probably have five to seven years period to do that thinking. It's We don't have like decades anymore. Yikes. I do think that AI is, is going to have some sweeping changes. And I have an, a funny little story on just, you know, chat GPT, with, which is really only been out for a couple of weeks with people playing around with it and uh, uh my my superiors were asking me like for our may conference like where's your agenda and where's your uh, uh description of the conference and all that and uh, i didn't have it ready yet so i just uh, turned to chat gpt <laughs> I, I looked at like what can it spit out and then it spit out this reasonably good um uh, 30 session agenda of uh, the future of gaming and uh, and the metaverse and and, and vr and uh, uh, a description for for it as well, and so uh, I'm you know thinking that well I could I could make myself obsolete with this, uh, but for now it's uh, it's generating something that's useful for my bosses, uh, uh, you know that's that's in the good enough category. <laughs> so, yeah. All right, guys, this has been a fantastic show. As always, I think our newest show is our bestest ever. Uh, Dean, thank you for joining us. Ted and Roni, have, have a great holiday, you guys. Um, mm -hmm. it's, it's been a great year. I feel very, very lucky to be hanging out with you uh, every week talking about um, this amazing story, which um, has uh, no end. So thank you, everybody. Thank you for listening. And uh, we'll uh, see you uh, at the end of CES on January 5th. That'll be a big show. Uh, we'll catch up on all the new announcements, HTC's new uh, device, and lots of other things, uh, XR. Um, happy holidays. Thank you. <laughs>